0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. For your mercy, healing is a mercy. Healing is a mercy. And you know, whether we receive healing or whether we minister healing, we do it by grace. By grace. And uh if healing's in the atonement, which we're going to speak of tonight, then it's based on what he did. That's why we can say healing is mine because of what Jesus did. All right? Say that with me. Say healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus See, when you take medicine, you know, you, you read the little label, the bottle, and you just do what it says. It says, you know, three caplets, tablets, whatever, three times a day, with a meal, without a meal, between a meal, uh, whatever, with water, without water. You just do what it says. You pop it in your mouth, and, uh, you just trust that it's gonna work, right? You don't, you don't have to make it work. You just follow the instructions, and you just trust that that medicine's going into your body, and that it knows what to do when it gets there, if you put it in there right. Well, Proverbs 4, 20 and 22 says that if you put God's word in front of your eyes and in your ears and you keep it in your heart, it will be life to you and healing to all your flesh. So you don't have to worry about how it works. Just take it as prescribed and take let it do, let it do its works. Take the medicine. Keep it in your heart. Keep it before your eyes. Actually, everything we receive from God is by faith in what He's provided. It's by hearing His word and by believing. And so we put His Word in our eyes, we put it in our ears, we keep it in our heart, and pff, it brings forth the fruit. Yeah. The farmer puts the seed in the ground, and he goes to bed, he wakes up, and, he goes, and that thing just starts growing all by itself. God's Word is the seed. Yeah. You see, you know what? The, the, the faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? The Word itself brings the faith with it to cause it to be believed. It's just like the moisture to start the sprouting is in the seed. You put it in the ground, it starts sprouting all by itself. The word of God, if you put it in your attention, in your eyes, in your ears, keep it in your heart, it brings with it the faith to be believed and will produce the fruit. Just take it the way that take it the way it's prescribed. And let it produce fruit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Healing is ours because of what Jesus has done. We're going to look at atonement tonight as it relates to healing. And atonement is uh, what I call a suitcase word. When you travel, uh, you're going to take your, your suitcase and you're going to pack all your clothes in it and things that you need when you get to where you're going and you zip it up. Maybe you have to sit on it, stuff it down, and you, you carry it. It's riding in the trunk of your car. You check it at the airline baggage, whatever. But when you get to where you're staying, you unzip it, you take everything out, you hang it up, you spread it out to where you can use it. And a suitcase very simply just lets you carry a lot of stuff in one little container, right? The word atonement is a suitcase word. It carries an enormous amount of symbolism and imagery and and things that, that uh, we can look at what God did. It includes so much, but we just use the word atonement because it lets us carry this thought very easily, right? Uh, if we had to say, you know, like... Every time we use the word atonement, if we had to say the completed work of the redemptive substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, whereby he defeated Satan and rescued us from our sins and the effect of sins and placed us in right standing with the Father as a free gift to be received by faith... It gets very difficult to speak of, and it still wouldn't be complete because there are so many images. Uh, There's at least ten images of the atonement in the New Testament that the church used of substitution, um, vicarious suffering, uh, judicial, all these different views of atonement, and we need them all. Not one is complete. We need them all to understand the fullness of what Jesus has done. So, what I'm going to invite you to do with me tonight is we're going to just kind of look at atonement as it relates to healing and we're going to unzip this suitcase and unpack it a little bit and we're going to dig around and we're going to see if healing is in the atonement. Now, what we mean by atonement in the new covenant is not the same thing that they meant as healing or atonement rather in the old covenant. What they did in the old covenant was once a year they had a sacrifice and they would take a lamb and they would put it on the altar, and it would be offered to cover the sins of the people, right? Uh, atoning in the Old Testament was a covering of your sins. That's why Hebrews 10.1 says that the sacrifices were but a shadow of what was coming, okay? Hebrews 10.4 says that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, rather the sins were covered in fact the very meaning of the word in the hebrew atone means to cover so when they were offering the sacrifices the people were looking at the lamb or the bull or the goat whatever it was out on the altar and they were recognizing that 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 animal was killed in their place to bear their sins for them but god was looking at it and he was looking at it, our sin for his righteousness right we know that jesus committed no sin Right? He was perfect life. We committed no righteousness. Our best efforts, the Bible says, were filthy rags. We committed no righteousness worthy of anything He offered us. But He was made to be sin with our sin so that we could be made right and have right standing with the Father with His righteousness. And this is incredible. But we have been given the same standing before God that Jesus has. That's, that's heavy. We have the same standing before God that Jesus has. Our choices are really this, filthy rags or His righteousness. <laughs> if we're in Christ, it's His righteousness. It's His standing before the Father that we have. You might say, but I don't feel righteous. Touch your, pat yourself on the shoulder. Say, this is what righteousness feels like. <laughs> You're righteous. God's word is true. You are righteous. I'm reminded of a a preacher I saw on, on TV, and he was had this vision. He was praying. He saw this vision of an angel, and he's, he starts describing this regal warrior of an angel, and he's got this sword in one hand and a shield and his breastplate. He says he was nine feet tall, and he was just so... Regal looking and he's praying and he says, God, uh, is this some kind of archangel or what? And God said to him, that's not an angel at all. That's you in the spirit. It's you in the spirit. If we knew what we were, you are righteous before God. You have the standing in the kingdom that Jesus has. God knows that and the devil knows that. The only people who are in the dark on it sometimes is us. <laughs> we need to understand that and, and use it lean heavy on that right standing with God lean heavy on who he has made us so that's the great ex- the great exchange atonement is also substitutionary i've already mentioned the uh, atoning sacrifice uh, also During the Day of Atonement, they would take a goat and they would put their hands on the goat and they would confess the sins of the people, lead it out into the wilderness and let it go. Leviticus 16.22 says that the goat shall bear all their iniquities in itself to a remote area. This is, a we use the word scapegoat today, one that's been going a, a, around a lot more even than the last few years has been thrown under the bus, especially with election campaigns, right? Somebody gets caught doing something, so they throw somebody under the bus, and they take the blame, they take the guilt so that the whole uh, organization can keep moving on. Well, Jesus was the scapegoat. He took it for us, and uh, Jesus is our scapegoat. Okay, atonement is God's rescue plan in operation. He rescues us from our sins. That's clear. Sin is missing the mark, falling short of the glory. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He also rescues us from the effects of sin, which is sickness and disease. Because uh, like like James uh, dealt with last week, Sin or death came into the world, and sickness and all the things that destroy basically destroy God's good creation came into the world with sin, with Adam's high treason, with his transgression. That's where it entered the world. It was not part of God's creation. God looked at his creation and he said, It is good. It is good. But with the fall of man came all this stuff that we're dealing with. Now, I I just want to take a few minutes now because I think it's very important when we start looking at the um, sin-sickness connection or even a better way would be the redemption-healing connection because they kind of go together, it's real important that we don't let anybody put us into condemnation. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not counting our sins against us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. If He's not counting our trespasses against us, then it follows that He's also willing to rescue us from the sickness and disease, which are the effects of sin, right? right? But the thing is this, the devil doesn't play fair with sick people. He really doesn't. As I was thinking about this, I was just wondering just in the natural why sometimes, uh, you know, uh, victims of abuse, you know, domestic abuse or physical abuse, sexual abuse, those kinds of things, why they often feel, feel guilty and carry the guilt. So I did a little study. Well, I did an exhaustive study of three websites, okay? <laughs> okay, But here's what's interesting. I looked at three websites with different kinds of abuse. One was um, uh, a child abuse, another one was um, physical abuse, and another one was sexual abuse, but they all had this in common. The victim carries the guilt and shame in an attempt to maintain the illusion of control. If they can blame themselves, then they believe that they can change their circumstances by modifying their behavior so they'll endure the guilt and the blame and the shame to preserve the hope that if they change their performance the torment will go away it's it's a sense of control and doesn't that sound just like the devil the devil comes he makes us sick okay sickness ultimately is from the devil devil makes us sick and then he tells us it's our fault and then we have this pre-wired tendency to say well that 's true, and if I can just change my performance, I can get it to go away, so we start doing all this stuff, and the church has got a lot of G to help us. you know you need to fast more, you know you need to fast, you need to do these things huh? so don 't take me the wrong way, but we start loading down guilt on ourselves you know you know if, if you 're sick it 's probably because you have some unconfessed sin or you 've got a bitter spirit and you 've got all these things, and what we do is we take our eyes off the solution who is Jesus, and we start searching in. Inwardly for all of this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, if you are in Christ, He's not counting your sins against you. And if you are living in sin that has caused it, His Holy Spirit will make it known to you. You will not have to turn in and just dig and dig and dig. The, the teachings that we have uh, have people looking through their ancestry and genograms and working all this stuff out, trying to find out how this got in. That was maybe the door, but the Bible is very clear. He God fingers Satan as the accuser Satan as the oppressor the devil is the source ultimately for sickness and disease so you know what about these things uh you know some of them are real and we need to deal with them I don't recommend anybody living in sin I do recommend that we spend time praying and fasting and fellowshipping a a soldier of God is going to listen for all who are oppressed if you're oppressed God's on your side God is on your side. Jesus was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and liberty to those who are oppressed. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. If after you've come to Christ you feel guilt and condemnation, it's not from God. It can't be because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not to say that the Lord won't deal with us. If we have sin in our life, the Holy Spirit will lovingly convict us and lead us. But continual feelings of guilt and not measuring up are not from God. Now this verse that I have up here, uh, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that He might be saved through Him. I said, Atonement is God's great rescue plan in operation. The word saved right there, the, that the world might be saved through him, is the Greek word S-O-Z-O, sozo. The word actually means to save, that is to deliver or protect, heal, preserve, save, do well, to be whole or make whole. If you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, when he rescued the man on the side of the road, Right? Think about the totality of what that salvation included. I mean, he picked the man up, he nursed his wounds, he took him to a place, he paid the innkeeper to take care of him and look after him. It was a complete rescue. You know, when when they pulled the kids out of the cave in Thailand about a month ago now, right? First thing they did, give, they gave them medical attention, right? Because what would be a rescue if they're... Left just to die after you get them out of the cave. Okay, that's why um, EMTs, you know, are always accompanying the first responders because we know just in natural things that we need to look after people's physical well being as a part of a rescue, a deliverance. Um, The word so-so in the King James is used 110 times, 93 times it's translated as make whole or as save rather. And 17 times it's make hole, heal, or be whole, or something like that. Um, the translators get to decide which English word to use. So what I did... I just did a quick study in the book of Acts looking at all the reference of this word. I didn't include them all, but I just kind of want to kind of run through it with you. I could have done this in any of the gospels. Like I said, this word is 110 times in the New Testament, but just look at me, look with me in the book of Acts, starting with uh, chapter 2, verse 21. And this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He's preaching. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. Peter says, "And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." That word "saved" so so. Okay. Yeah. So this is our this is our benchmark, our foundation verse here. Now, I, I, when I hear that verse, I I think back to just you know I what I've heard all my life. Saved from your sins. That would be the context that I would understand that to be. I'm sure that's accurate. But let's go to two chapters later. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And this is Peter after he healed the man who had the crippled feet. He's before the council. And he says to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been so so." here it's translated healed. Let it be known... No, was he healed or was he saved from his sins? Or, or the, was the council mad because he was saved from his sins or were they mad because he was, he was healed? Uh, the, the word so-so, it means both. It means both. Let it be known to you all today that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man... By him, this man is standing before you well. So clearly, in context, the salvation was a salvation from being crippled, right? Same word means salvation from sickness. Two verses later, though, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. Now, so-so appears in this verse two times. Salvation, which is the noun form, and saved again so so. So what I'm, what he's saying is the same exact word for deliverance two verses later. Now, if I stay with the context of this, the man was healed. Why couldn't I read it like this? And there is healing in no one else for in no, for in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be healed it would actually fit the context better. What gives one person the right to choose to do it healed here and then now just translate it saved here when we're still talking about healing? That's kind of an interesting thought to me. Um, let's go on to uh, Acts 11. And uh, this is Peter again. He's speaking uh, to the church about his visit to Cornelius when the Gentiles got saved. And uh, he told us how he had seen an angel. This is Acts 11, 13, and 14. Stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. So-so. Okay? Now, did Cornelius want healing, or did he want salvation? I think most of us probably would understand that it's salvation, because of how we've come to read Acts and how people preach on it mostly, it's salvation from sins. Right? Salvation. Okay? But the next verse I want to read is Acts 14, verses 9 through 10. And a crippled man is listening to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, so-so, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, I picked these two because they're parallel. Okay? The angel said that Peter will declare to you a message. The word in Greek is laleo, and it means he will speak words. He will utter words to you, a message by which you will be saved. Okay, And then Paul is preaching, speaking words, same Greek word. Paul is speaking, laleo, and he sees that this man had the faith to be So in this case made well. See, salvation for our bodies and salvation for our spirit come exactly the same way. Hearing the word and believing it. God's word is medicine. Let's put it in our eyes. Let's put it in our ears. Let's keep it in our heart and let's let it do its work. Somebody preached the word to every one of us at some point and we believed and it produced a new life, a new spirit in us. This preaching of the word, the looking at the word of God with regard to healing goes in our eyes, goes in our ears, in our hearts, and it works miracles in us. I expect that people can be healed listening to this just because the word of God goes into a heart. It is medicine and it brings about healing. Um, the let's see, the last one in Acts is uh, Paul and the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, 30, and 31. Like I said, this is not exhaustive in the book of Acts. There are a few more references, but I picked th- these because they each made a point. The Philippian jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's that word again. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Could I not read that? Sirs, what must I do to be healed? Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household. Scripture, the point is, Scripture does not separate healing for the body from salvation for the soul. They're both included in Jesus' atoning work at the cross. And even the word so-so, saved, includes both spiritual and physical healing. So here's a question I want to ask, and we've all heard this: What is more important, salvation or healing? Mm-hmm. I've, 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 everybody I've ever heard deal with that, even faith people who believe in faith healing, praying for the sick. When when they're asked the question, they'll say, "Absolutely, salvation is more important because salvation is eternal, healing is temporal. We only need healed when we're in this bodies. So we don't need healed in heaven." Because there is no sickness in heaven, right? But I want to give you a little different answer. I want to tell you the very question itself is devilish. I've not watched a lot of superhero movies lately, but I do remember an old Spider-Man movie, okay, where the Green Goblin is on the Queensborough Bridge in New York, and he's got um, Mary Jane in one hand and a cable car full of innocent people in the other hand. And he's making Spider-Man choose which one he's going to say, right? And he lets them both go. And And that seems to be a recurring theme in all the superhero movies. Does Clark Kent, does he save California or Lois Lane? See, but only the devil would make you choose between two good things that God has provided. Why do we have to choose one or the other? Why not have them both? Only an evil villain would make you take that kind of choice. It's not from God. It's from the devil. When we have to say, well, that's not important because it's just my physical body. I have the most important. When Jesus' blood paid for them both. Paid for them both. And now, I don't know what movies are like. Right now, I've not watched superhero movies for a while. But back in the day, the villain always underestimated the superhero. And the superhero always found a way to save them both. And Jesus... God has not separated healing from salvation. The devil did. Jesus has provided for them both. Okay, very quickly, I've got three more references for so-so. You know these verses. These are normally considered to be salvation verses. But listen to the word in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and verse 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be healed or Saved, or preserved. So-so. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is so-so. Saved, healed, and delivered. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be healed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be preserved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been so, so, for by grace you have been healed through faith. And this not of your own doing it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save, deliver, heal to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, I wanted to find something there, so I looked up that word uttermost, and it just means uttermost. <laughs> He's able to save completely to the fullness, not just your spirit. He's able to save your body. He's able to preserve your mind or your, your emotions. He can save anything that we have lost in the fall. Everything we entrust to Him, He can save it. He wants to save it. Who gets to decide that God means physical healing in some passages and only spiritual salvation in others when He doesn't distinguish between the two? Salvation is offered to all freely as an act of grace based on the completed work of Christ. I'm going to think backwards backwards here with me for a minute. If healing were not included in the atonement, If it were not included in the atonement, then healing would have to come by some other way besides grace and looking to Jesus. Healing would have to be a sovereign act of God. And there are a lot of people who believe that healing is a sovereign act of God. Sometimes he might want to heal somebody and he might not want to heal this one. God is sovereign. That's just the way it is. There are people who believe that. If healing were not in the atonement, then it would have to be a sovereign act of God. But if healing were in the atonement, then a sovereign God has sovereignly provided it to us as an action of His grace and mercy and not as a reward for our acts of piety. If healing were not in the atonement, then perhaps it could be a reward. You know, from living a holy enough life, or you know, if we fast for forty-two days straight, you know, or or do some of these things and uh, pray enough hours on our knees, you know, in the snow till we drip blood or whatever. I mean, the question is, we need to pray. We need right? we need to we need a disciplined life. We need to pray. We need to do these things. But when is it going to be enough to earn what God has freely provided? Is not going to ever be enough to earn. What God has freely provided. Because it's offered to us by grace. If it's in the atonement, it's received by looking to him, looking to what he did. If healing were not in the atonement, then maybe it would come by enough people just petitioning God and begging and bombarding the gates of heaven, right? You see this when those people are like, we've got a thousand people on our prayer chain. (laughs) Surely God will hear a thousand people. As if that A 1,000 people are going to somehow persuade God to do something that he hasn't already decided that he would do. No, the truth is one person believing God, one person can receive healing or minister healing if they believe. One person, because it's provided by grace. Now, if healing is always God's will for all people or healing, rather, because it's in the atonement, it is always God's will for all people at all time and is provided as an act of grace on the basis of what Jesus has done and is received by believing. Say it with me. Healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Okay, now, the key passage in the Old Testament... Uh, for the atonement and healing is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed." All of we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Now portions of this passage are quoted uh, at least twice in the New Testament. One is the verse in 1 Peter 2.24. says that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And what's interesting to me here is that the word healed, in 1 Peter 2.24, is not the word sozo. It's not. It's actually the word, and I'm not going I'll, to, I'll give it a try, iaomai. Okay? I-A-O-M-A-I. It's a Greek word, and it means to heal or cure. It's not used for deliverance or rescue. It means to heal or cure. It's used 25 times throughout the Gospels and Acts to describe physical healing use of this particular word means that we cannot spiritualize 1 Peter 2.24. When it says, by His wounds or by His stripes you have been healed, it's physical healing that Peter's talking about. We can't back it out and say, well, it's healing of the soul. No, it's actually a word that is used exclusively for physical healing. Another interesting thing here is the tense here. By His stripes you have been healed. Like I said, we look back to the cross. It was a point in time Jesus did it. What Isaiah saw when he was looking and he said, by his stripes, we are healed. He's looking in the vision that he's as he's prophesying, he's reporting it in present tense. But Peter says, you have already been healed because Jesus has already done it. Because of what Jesus has done, healing belongs to me. Say it with me. Because of what Jesus has done, healing belongs to me. The other reference is Matthew 8, uh, 16 and 17. It says, That evening they brought to Him many who were oppressed by demons, and He cast out the spirits with the word, and He healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Do you get it? Matthew's commentary on the Isaiah passage, he says, Jesus healing the diseases and casting out demons, this fulfills that. This physical healing. Healed here um, is the word therapeo. Sounds like our word where we get therapy, right? And it means um, to do service or to heal, cure, or restore to health. It's translated as healed, healing, or cured. It's used 44 times in the New Testament, and every single time except one, it refers specifically to physical healing. In fact, it's almost never used figuratively in the Greek language, and it's never used figuratively in the New Testament. It always means physical healing, except one time, and that's the verse in Acts that says, God is not served, therapeuo by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need our cures. He doesn't need our therapy. He doesn't need our menial, you know, therapy right because he himself is the one who provides all of that to us he gives us life and breath and everything everything comes from god matthew's interpretation of isaiah 53 4 does not allow for the healing to be spiritualized in matthew 8 the whole chapter up to this point jesus was healing people's bodies now and what's uh Another interesting point here in Matthew's translation. I'm reading the ESV and it says, um, Matthew in the ESV says that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The King James would say he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And the New American Standard says he took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Uh, the word infirmities means weakness and uh, it can mean any kind of weakness not just physical weakness but clearly in the context we're speaking of of spiritual or or of of, a physical weakness but the word diseases nosos means malady disease or sickness and is never used this is the one that is never used figuratively in the New Testament it always means a physical malady or disease and Matthew is saying that healing of physical diseases is what fulfills the Isaiah prophecy so the question then comes why in the in the Isaiah prophecies, we see the words griefs and sorrows" instead of sicknesses and pains or sicknesses and disease and uh, it's just interesting when you when you look at Bible translations how much tradition does come into play when when they translate and uh, the best study Bibles like the King James or the new american standard they uh, you know they have the the best their word for word translations and so the the translators pick one word to place there. And uh, it's amazing just how much they're going to look at tra- trans- tradition, how it was translated before when they pull it up. But in the footnotes of the New King James and the New American Standard uh, and the English Standard Version, they offer sickness and pain as the actual translation of the word. And if you go back and you look at the words, it's exactly what it means. The word the word griefs is the word choily. And it means sickness, and is always used with a reference to a physical malady. And the word sorrows is the word macabre, and it means anguish or affliction. These are what he bore away, physical sickness and anguish and affliction. And also the word born is interesting. It's the word "nasah." It means to lift, bear up, carry or take. And it's the same word used of the scapegoat that we read earlier in 1622. The goat shall bear all of their iniquities in itself to a remote area. Jesus, the idea is here that Jesus bore our sickness away from us so that we do not have to bear them. Healing is in the atonement and healing is ours on the basis of what Jesus has done. So, Lord, we just thank you for this healing. Lord, I just, I want to I move, I want to close, I want look at, to look at Jesus with you. I want to show you a picture of Jesus in the atonement on the cross. And I want to just, I want to take a minute, just kind of do this prayerfully because I would like to receive, I would like for us, if we need healing. Or even if somebody's listening uh, to the recording later, who will receive healing by this. So let's, in a prayerful mode, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for grace, Lord. Thank you for grace. We thank you that healing is ours because of what Jesus has done. You paid it all. It's not because of any other reason except for what you have accomplished for us. Lord, we thank you. We receive that healing. We look to you. We look to you on the cross. I, I've, I was wondering, I'm going to go for just a few more minutes. I was wondering how, uh, how I can look to Jesus on the cross. And in Numbers, there is a type of Christ, which is in the brazen serpent. It's Numbers 21, 4 through 9. I'm going to read you this passage. It says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The people said, We have sinned. Judgment was in their camp on account of them sinning. The snakes were going around. They were biting people. They were becoming sick, and they were dying because of sin. And then Moses makes a serpent. He puts it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Forgiveness and healing are tied together because the sin and sickness are tied together. Would it also be accurate to say that everyone who was bitten, when he sees the serpent on the pole, shall be forgiven? Jesus used this model and he applied it to himself in John. He says, John 3, 12 through 15, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Everyone who looks at Jesus on the cross will also live, just like they looked at the serpent. Sickness is in this world because of sin, because Adam sold us out and it's here. doesn't mean necessarily, I can show you a lot of verses in the New Testament. You can sin and bring sickness on yourself, that's a fact. But just because you're sick does not mean that you've necessarily sinned devil is attacking people he attacks our bodies he attacks people he's not playing fair with people the Bible says if somebody is sick let them call the elders and the elders will pray and anoint them with oil and God will heal them and if they've committed sin did not say that they've committed sin if they've committed sin God will forgive them but the fact remains sickness and sin are two fruits of the same tree and God dealt with them both in the, aton- in the atonement we are a spirit man being, a spirit body being, so it when we fail, we fail spiritually and physically because of the sin, the death that came into the world. It only makes sense that in the atonement we are redeemed physically and as well as spiritually. Everyone who sees him, everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. That's not just living forever after you die in heaven. That is Life, the life of God that we can experience now, that we can be partakers of now. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy, but I have come that they might have life. 1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. If you have Jesus, you have life. That life in you will overwhelm the sickness. It will overwhelm and drive out the death. That is his plan. Now, in in First uh, Corinthians, Paul is speaking. Jared, I don't, I didn't give you these, but that's okay. Just I'll read them. Paul is uh, telling them that uh, he says, "When I came to you, the Corinthians." I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How did he come with a demonstration of the Spirit and power? Because he resolved to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was actually in weak and fear and trembling, but he says, I resolved to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Galatians 3. He's getting on to the Galatians. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says you're getting away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Listen to the message. Look at Jesus crucified. Stay with that. You're getting into the law and legalism and you're trying to get your healings and your miracles by some other way. He's saying don't do that. Look to Jesus, look to the cross, hearing and faith. When Paul is speaking about um, communion to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death." until he comes. When we hold those elements, we have the body broken for us and the blood poured out for us. We are proclaiming his death. We are looking at him crucified and we're proclaiming his death. He goes on to say that if you do not properly discern the body of the Lord, that is why he said some of you are weak and sickly and have even died because you're not discerning that this body was broken for your physical healing. We've made much of the blood. And rightly so. But this body was broken for your physical healing. Properly discern that. How do I see Jesus crucified? The work of Jesus was not just the The time from the garden to the resurrection, but his whole life was really an atonement. He was an example to us, but you know, he he shed blood more than just on the cross the crown of thorns when he was beat up on trial in the garden he began sweating blood his blood was poured out he was wounded more than just the whipping post he was wounded when they beat him when they nailed his hands and feet he was, he was wounded those are the wounds that God has healed the, the whole thing was together in Matthew chapter 8 the one we referenced earlier that ends up looking to the cross we see miracle after miracle after miracle saying that this fulfills that prophecy the first one is Matthew 8 a leper comes to him and he says Lord if you will you can make me clean Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying I will be clean and immediately his leprosy was clean Jesus took that upon himself he bore it away from him and depending on exactly where this is in Jesus' ministry two or three years later that leprosy is with Jesus on the cross he took it to the cross. The next a centurion comes to him and he says, My servant is sick. He's paralyzed. He's dying. And Jesus says, I'll come heal him. And he says, No, speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus says, Okay, go. It'll be, he'll be healed just as you said. And that paralysis came on to Jesus. He bore it away and he took it to the cross. And we look to you, Jesus, on the cross, bearing away all our sicknesses and all our pains. And we recognize that healing is ours because of what you have done. The next one was Peter's mother-in-law. He walks into Peter's house. They said, Peter's mother-in-law is with a fever. He touched her hand, and he took that fever from her. He bore it on himself. He took it to the cross. He suffered for it, and he bore it away and then it ends, uh, ends the passage they're saying, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. To look at what Jesus did in the atonement, look at what he did in his life. Look at his actions in the gospel. He healed all who came to them. He didn't make them jump through a bunch of hoops and search out ancestry or hidden sins and different things. He healed them because he knew he was going to the cross and he took it all upon himself and because it's a completed work it's paid for and healing is ours now because of what Jesus has done. Let's just receive together, Father we love you and we thank you for the completed work of Jesus we thank you for grace Lord, thank you for grace and thank you for mercy we thank you for healing, we thank you that what Jesus did on the cross not only makes us right with you not only puts us positionally right with you in right standing with you in the kingdom but also has made a way for us to be healed from our sicknesses and from our diseases and in Jesus name and the authority of what Jesus has done I say in Jesus name be healed be so so be made whole in the name of Jesus father we thank you for it in the name of Jesus we receive it say this with me healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Amen. Amen.